The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. We're going to look at joy tonight in gospel focus. Joy in gospel uh, focus. Keller said, uh, a lot of people say the gospel is the ABCs. Uh, but really, he said it's the A to Zs, uh, because the gospel doesn't just save us. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God to live the Christian life. In other words, I need to be reminded constantly of the gospel. How many know that as we lean into the gospel and we study the gospel even further, doesn't it give us more of a depth of understanding of who we are in Jesus, of who we are without Jesus, uh, uh, reminding us of who we need to be as we are pointed to Christ. It gives us that healthy examination of ourselves as we compare our imperfections to the perfections of Christ. How do know that you, you become more aware of how much you and Christ don't really match up? But then you also become more aware of His grace uh, and how sufficient it is. And even though that you don't match up to what He is, that we have this blessed hope that the Lord is coming back and He's going to make us like Him, but also that we're on a journey. And Paul reminded us that as we looked at last week, he says, I've not attained yet. I've not arrived yet. I've not become what I'm going to be in Jesus. How many know that that's the true of you tonight? You have not become all that you will become in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope because I see where I fall short. How about you? I see where my imperfections don't match up with the perfections of Jesus Christ. But as I lean into the gospel, I get more hope in my sanctification because I understand that he has justified me. He is going to sanctify me. He's going to make me like his son, Jesus. And ultimately, I get great hope in the promise of glorification, that we're going to be glorified. How many are looking forward to that? That blessed hope and that great appearing of our great God and Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to show up and we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. Boy, we're going to celebrate that day, aren't we? I don't know if the thousand years uh, of that reign are going to be us just giving testimonies because I don't know how you could go through all those as we sit around the table and we share. Uh, when, when Brother Paul gets up, when Moses gets up, when Abraham gives up, gets up and we point to Jesus and we see all that Jesus has done, I don't know. It may take a thousand years for us to give all those testimonies. Who knows? But that's just, what, a thousand years is his day. A day is a thousand years. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, we're going to get there tonight as we look at gospel focus. But we're going to talk about, in gospel focus, three things tonight. Engaging in discipleship, reminding ourselves of our citizenship, and anticipating heaven. Anticipating heaven. So we're going to talk about those three things tonight as we look at our text. Uh, Paul, he begins with brethren, brothers, sisters in Christ. How many with me tonight? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same family. I know just like in regular families, how many your brother or your sister sometimes agitate you? We sometimes get agitated with our brothers and sisters. But that's okay. Paul is saying, hey, listen, brother, listen, sister, I've not yet attained. I'm not all that what I need to be. But he's comparing them. He's putting them on the same level that he is. He's not putting himself above them. He's not saying, I'm the father and you're my children. He's saying, we're brethren. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying we're all on a journey and we're all becoming what we're going to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he points to that, he gives this spiritual mindedness. He talks about being spiritually minded. Romans chapter 8 verse number 5 says this, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. 
But they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, so many people view spirituality and holiness through outward activities of the flesh. In other words, we view it only through the lens of the things that we do. How many know that sometimes we look at spirituality that way? We look at someone, we say someone must be spiritual because they do a lot of spiritual activities. Jesus disclosed to us that that's not always the case. How many know we can do spiritual activities but not be spiritually minded? We can do spiritual things as it was according to our own judgment as we look at people being busy, doing a lot of things. We could... We could have spiritual activity, but we are not necessarily being spiritually minded. Um, Your motives are not always matching with the things that you're doing. The things that I do don't always match up with the, the reasons I do them. Are you with me tonight? The things that I do don't always match up with the reasons that I do them. What roots that out? Well, the Word of God does it. Isn't it a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of our heart? In other words, the Word of God reveals to you, reveals to me, whether we're spiritually minded or whether we're carnally minded. The natural man understandeth not the things of God. The Bible says he's carnally minded. Uh, Romans tells us that he can't, even, uh, he can't even think spiritually because his mind's not even subject to the law of God. It can't even be subject because the only way for our minds to become spiritual is if Christ gives us that new heart, that new mind the ability to think and reason and discern and to have the wisdom of God. That comes from the Spirit of God, doesn't it? And so without the Spirit of God, we can't have a spiritual mind. But sometimes we judge spirituality through outward activities of the flesh. Again, in verse number 17, Paul calls them brethren, brothers and sisters. He reminds them what he's already stated. I haven't yet attained. I haven't been completed. I have yet to arrive in my likeness to Jesus Christ. He doesn't point to himself as the example, but he points to the fact that they're all equal siblings on a journey of becoming like their father. Um, I think as we're in families, we understand that sometimes brothers and sisters take leadership roles. I think in the church, that's what discipleship is. As we look at number one tonight, engaging in discipleship. How do we maintain gospel focus? And joy comes from that. The Bible says that joy and being spiritually minded Uh, spiritual mindedness has a lot to do with who I'm desiring to be like. I can do things that I'm supposed to do without desiring to become like those commanding me to do them. I can do things that I'm supposed to do without desiring to be like the ones that I'm commanded to be like. Ever have uh, a kid say, I don't want to be like my father. I don't want to be like my mother. They can do what their parents tell them to do, but at the same time be despising who those people giving the commands are. Despising, not wanting to be like them. I don't desire to be like the one giving me the commands. The Bible says that his commandments to us are not grievous. Why? Because it reveals to us whether we have a spiritual mind when we desire to be like the one that's giving us the commands. In other words, he's the one that gives us these commands. If we love him, we what? Keep his commandments. But it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Because really what he wants from us is to follow him. 
What he wants from us is to desire in our hearts to be like him. Who do you want to be like tonight? Who do you want to be like? You can just do things according to the commandments that are given, but it brings joy to your heart to do what the commands are given from the one who's commanding them when you really just want to be like them, when you desire to be like them. Do you want to be like Jesus tonight? Do you want to be like Jesus? If you want to be like Jesus, I would submit that it's because you love Jesus. I mean, we don't want to be like someone that we don't love, someone that we don't admire, someone that we don't look up to. Jesus is more than someone just to admire and observe. He's someone to completely love, isn't he? He's someone that has completely given his love to us, but that love has changed us, hasn't it? It has put in us a desire to be completely like him. As we read in Colossians, aren't we complete in Jesus? We're incomplete without Jesus. Truly, who completes us is not our spouse. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that completes every person. You can be, you can be complete without any other person in your life, but you cannot be complete without Jesus Christ. You cannot be complete without Jesus Christ. Who completes us is Jesus that is who is, by the way, only the, the only one that's meant to complete us. I, I, would, I would submit that it would be better for two people to come together being complete in Jesus rather than putting on each other the desire that the other person is going to complete them as a person. That's, a, that's a, a worldly mindset, by the way, that another human being is supposed to complete me. Only Jesus Christ can complete us. Only Jesus can. Uh, other people can compliment us. And by the way, that's why God gave the wife to the husband. That's why God gave Eve to Adam to compliment him. But he didn't give Eve to Adam to complete him. He was, the Bible says it was good when God created him. He was complete in the Lord. We're complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when as a church we engage in discipleship, when was Paul saying be followers, notice in verse number 17, be followers together of me. He's saying, follow with me. He's not saying, just follow me. He's saying, follow me while I'm following Christ. Let's all follow Jesus together. That's really what he's saying. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're his children. Let's, want, let's all desire together as brothers and sisters in Christ to be like Jesus. Let's strive together for the faith of the gospel. Let's keep our focus and our desire as a church in becoming and being like the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, in church, we engage in discipleship. What is our job together as believers? Our job as believers is to be brothers and sisters in Christ who point each other to following Jesus. I mean, that, that's the basic, I think, definition of what a church should be to each other. We're all at different stages of our spiritual maturity. Agree? In, like in a family, brothers and sisters have older and younger brothers. And siblings, so in the family of God, we have those older or more mature in the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean age, older. It just means more mature in Christ. I don't know that's just what the Bible's talking about when it talks about those older in the Lord. It doesn't necessarily mean, that's why he said to Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example to the believer. Why? Because Timothy was far more mature than many of the older people that were in his church. Why? Because he's more spiritually grown up. And listen, age is not the level of, age does not determine our maturity in the Lord. We should honor those, the Bible says, that are older. But as far as discipleship is concerned, we should be 
encouraging each other, sharpening one another, pushing, uh, prodding, provoking one another to be more like Jesus. How are we doing that together? Are we engaging in discipleship? Discipleship is more than going through a curriculum. How many know that? It's not just going through a book. Discipleship is sometimes, yes, sitting and learning and, and, and being taught the word of God, but discipleship happens in real time. In other words, when we gather together, we should be looking to those that are younger in the Lord and seeking to encourage them also to follow Jesus as we are following Jesus. Now, what does that do for the church? Well, it makes, sure it, it makes, it makes the, those that are older and more mature in the Lord make sure they're aware that people are also being encouraged to follow what they're following. And so, boy, what does it do when we have children around us? When your children's eyes are on you, does it change the way you behave? When you know you have eyes on you, when you know people are going to follow what you do and follow what you say, how many ever said or did something and your kids were around and you said, oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have, you were a little bit, because you knew that you were a bad example. All of us at some point or other are bad examples, right? There's times where we will let each other down, but may we as a church constantly be engaged in discipleship together that we can point each other to Jesus. Paul wasn't pointing the church to himself. He was pointing the church to the fact that there are people that are maturing in the Lord, that there are some on different levels within the church, but we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're all following the Lord Jesus Christ together. Spiritual mindedness is about looking at the Father and loving Him so much that not only are His commands not grieving or oppressive to you, but they're viewed as a path to becoming just like Him, which is what I want to be. Um, How many know that your focus is often what you become? Your focus is often what you be, you're, you're going to become. Many of you said this when you were younger. I don't want to be like, and you said, your mom or your dad. And in many ways, that focus, even though it was a negative focus, helped to make you more like them. I mean, know that what you focus on is what you become, even if it's a negative focus. Sometimes we focus so much on what we don't want to be, but then people remind us on how much. Have you ever had somebody say that? You remind me of, and they give your parents, your father, your mother, whatever. And we say, well, I'm not like them. We're more like them than what we'd like to admit, aren't we? We're more like them than what we'd like to admit. Because those that spend time with us and direct us, we pick up habits, even bad ones, right? Uh, we, we do things like those who we spend time with. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, we need to fellowship together. We need to gather. But when we gather, may it not be just, you know, let's just have a service and let's gather. Let's think about what are we doing together? Well, we're discipling one another. We're encouraging one another. Are you done being discipled? Paul, Peter was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And up to the point, even too, when Jesus went to the cross, was his discipleship complete? He spent three and a half years with the Lord Jesus Christ in ministry. And it seems like even at the end of that period of time that he still was just beginning. Because he backslid, didn't he? He went back to his former profession. He went back to fishing. He was even a failure at that. He, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He needed the reminder. Jesus had to come back to him and remind him of his first love. He needed to come back to loving the Lord Jesus Christ first before he would ever help anyone else. And I wonder tonight, in discipleship, keeping our focus, we lose our joy when we lose our first love, don't we? We lose our joy when we lose our first love. If your love 
is not towards Jesus. Love not the what, church? The world. How many, how many found out a long time ago that the world doesn't love you back? The world does not love you back. What the world gives you back is just emptiness. It doesn't, what shall it profit a man if he what? Gain the whole world. What happens as a result? Loses his own soul. But many people give, what do they give in exchange for their soul? I mean, we, we trade the most valuable thing we have, our soul, for something cheap. We go back to even the selling of the birthright, Esau, for just what? The bowl of pottage. Can I tell you that that is the same thing that we do when we love the world? We're giving away something so valuable, like our love, that's supposed to be pointed to Jesus, and we're giving it to something that's of no comparison. When you put your love, when you set your love on Jesus, when you set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth, you're making an investment that will never, never end in its return. It will never end in its blessing to you. You understand that? When we, when we invest in, when we, have, uh, when we have our minds set on things that are above, we'll never lose the return of that. But when we love the world, it doesn't love us back. We need to, number one, engage in discipleship, how we have joy and gospel focus. Uh, number two, we need to remember our citizenship. Pick up verse number 20 with me uh, back in the text. Look at it with me in the Bible t- uh, tonight. Uh, for our conversation, you see that word? I, I kind of threw that in there as we were reading it because I wanted you to be thinking that way already. That word conversation speaks about our life. But here in particular, the word literally means our citizenship or from where we get the word politics. It's the same word. He says, for our conversation, our politics, our citizenship is in heaven. For a lot of people today, they're distracted because their politics are here. Their citizenship is here. Their focus is here. And God says, your focus, Christians, brothers in Christ, your focus is not on citizenship here, politics here, but your focus is on citizenship there. In heaven. Because if you don't act like you're a citizen of heaven, you're acting like you're a citizen of this world, and we are not. You're, you're, we're ambassadors. We're here, we're here just for a short period of time. We're supposed to be ambassadors in the world that we live. We're supposed to live godly and soberly and righteously in this present world, but we're not citizens here. We're citizens there. We have a citizenship in heaven. Uh, we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's where our citizenship is. That's where our eternal citizenship is. We're citizens of heaven before we're citizens anywhere else. How many know that that keeps your politics and citizenship here straight? Because when you think about it through the lens of who, where I'm from first, I'm from there first. How many glad to be from heaven? That's where, isn't that where Jesus came from? Is he our king? Is he the sovereign Lord over us? So before we serve any kings here, we serve that king there, right? So we understand that we have to live in this world, that we have to be godly and sober and righteous in this world, but we understand that that all flows from the mindset that comes from that my citizenship first is in heaven, that my king is Jesus, that he's the sovereign over all. Notice in verse number 20, he says, Your citizenship, your conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He emphasizes here this 
citizenship. It's the same way, again, in other, we would understand the word politics. Your politics come from the way you think. You cannot change someone's politics without changing the lens from which they view everything. You cannot change someone's politics without changing their mind. Because our politics come from our thinking, doesn't it? That's what, the way that we act in the country, okay, the way that we act where we live, that's our politics. That's the way that we think. It comes from the way that we think. Jesus said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Descartes, the, 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 the French uh, philosopher, he, he borrowed this when he said, um, I think, therefore I am, right? It's the same thing. As, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we wrongfully judge spirituality through outward achievements. We know if we're spiritually minded on the basis of our own thought life, and our thought life will play itself out in our actions and our responses to others. If we can judge our thought life honestly, we're on the way to true joy and freedom in Jesus Christ. He says, remember your citizenship because it's the key to gospel focus. If I don't think about where I'm from first, it won't, it won't keep me centered on the gospel. It won't keep me thinking right. How many know that the battle of the things that you're facing right now in a sense of obedience to God is in your mind? If you thought right, you'd act right. How many know that that's the truth? If you thought right, you'd act right. The key to emptying yourself of bitterness is to empty your mind of bitterness. The key to emptying yourself of lust is to empty your mind of lust. Uh, the key to emptying uh, yourself of, of complaining or, or whatever it is that you're... Gossip is to empty your mind of those things. Isn't that why Christ said... We're supposed to think on the things that are what? Pure and honest and just and of good rapport. Do you find yourself ever meditating or thinking on things that are not good? Dwelling on things that are not good? I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking tonight, but I am talking about the power of spiritual thinking. Not all spiritual thinking is what the world would call positive thinking. Are you with me? It's not just thinking positive in a sense of only thinking that things are all positive in a sense of my own life and what my own desires are. Sometimes spiritual thinking is when something negative happens in my life that understand that God has a plan and a purpose in His sovereign will for these things to be happening in my life, both to conform me uh, to the image of Christ, but also to preach the gospel through our lives. That's what Christ wants to do. He wants to get glory from us, doesn't He? Does he deserve glory from our lives? Does he deserve glory from your life? Is he getting glory from your life? Who gets the glory, him or you? Uh, Where's our mind? Doesn't the Bible talk about us taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ? Casting down wicked imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to his obedience. How many, like me, sometimes you just struggle with your mind, the way that you think? Um, And boy, it doesn't take much to cause us to think negatively. We're in an age where we have so much negative information. How many are overwhelmed often with the amount of negative information that's coming to you? And it's almost like we are in this mindset today that if we don't get information like news in real time, that somehow we're missing out on something. How many have found out long ago, when you keep your mind 
from certain things, it keeps your mind on heavenly things. If there are things that are causing you to think negatively, I would submit to you that you should lay them aside. It could be social media. Are you with me? There's enough negative things. I would never suggest to any Christian to just randomly scroll through your newsfeed and just start reading. How many know that it's just a it's just a pool of negativity? Any more than I would say that you should just turn on the news and listen to everything that's said. You know, we are constantly being inundated with negativity. And it's no wonder we have a hard time being positive about anything, including what God is doing in His church. Sometimes we're so negative in our thinking that we can't even worship God. If my mind is so negative, if I'm allowing myself to be inundated with things that rob me of my joy... Hey, listen, you remember what we are talking about? There's so much that punches holes in the bucket of our lives... Hey, it would, be, it, it would be wise for us to say, no, I'm not going to allow these things into my life. How many know that all of us have different weaknesses? And as we're facing those different things, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God as He's leading us in our conscience to both remove sin, but also weights that beset us. How many know that there's some things in your life that may not necessarily be sinful in, in action, but they are keeping you from following Christ in the way that you should. Being wise is saying, I need to remove some things so that I can be a good soldier, so I can run the race with patience that's set before me, so I can keep my focus on Christ. Anything that turns our heads from Jesus, we need to remove from our lives. I'm thankful for the people that point you to look to Jesus. How many thankful for the people that when you look at them, you're reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what we need more of. But you notice what's happening with the church today. We have less and less time for things that are spiritual. And we have more time for things that are not. Not everything in our life is spiritual. And I don't necessarily believe... I think it's spiritual. Activities are spiritual that are good activities in the sense of I think God wants us to have balance in our life. I know we just can't stay here all the time. I'm not even suggesting that. But we would be better off when we came with the right mindset. How many you know that your mindset changes everything when it comes to when you gather with the church? That your mindset changes everything when you gather with your spouse? Your mindset changes everything when you gather with your family. And our mind, boy, there's just constant battle and barraging for our minds. Set your affection on things above. We have to constantly do that, don't we? Because our affections tend to wander away from or be focused off of what's important because we're not often remembering where our citizenship lies. And then lastly tonight, we, talked, we said anticipating heaven. I want to look at that just for a moment as we close out the text. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that Paul, speaking to the Philippian church so many years ago, was admonishing them to look for the Savior's return? Now, didn't the Holy Spirit know, as Paul was penning these words, that the Lord was not going to return in their lifetime? Didn't the Holy Spirit know that? Paul didn't know that, but the Holy Spirit of God knew that. But isn't it interesting that God still instructed them to look for His return? Why is it that you think that even if Christ isn't going to return, 
that it's important for us to be looking for that return. Because it changes our whole mindset, doesn't it? We should be anticipating what's to come, the world to come. Hey, listen, how many know that this life has gone faster than what you thought it was going to go? For some of us, it seems like it just continues to pick up the pace, and we can't keep up. And this life goes faster and faster and faster, and we're reminded as we get older how little time we truly do have here. As our children get older, we're reminded of how little time we have with them. As as we get older, we're reminded really of how little time we have with anyone. And we want to, as we get older, make an impact. I don't know about you, but I want my life to count. Not so that people remember me, but I want my life to count as it were, in the kingdom of God. I want to be a good steward of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that doesn't happen by accident. It takes purpose, doesn't it? I have to remember that we're looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. People talk about sometimes the eminent return of Christ like it's foolishness. But anyone that has a spiritual mind would never talk about that as being foolish. In other words... Every member of the body of Christ since the Lord has ascended has been admonished by God to be anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And even though that it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean that we should have this mindset that it's not going to happen. We should have this mindset that it is going to happen. Sometimes we think, well, it's not going to happen in art. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I don't know about you. I don't want to be that steward who when the Lord returns wasn't prepared, wasn't ready. I'm thankful that I'm ready in a sense of my soul, but I want to be ready in a sense of my stewardship. I want to be ready for his return in the sense of, like Paul said, I've fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Anticipating heaven. The Bible says this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote this. He says, Paul insists in the strongest terms that genuine Christianity, the kind that he was wanting to uh, imitate, lives in the light of Jesus' return. It is the kind of Christianity that joins the church in every generation in crying, Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. In short, it is Christianity that is preparing for heaven for, what, uh, for that is where our true home is, our true citizenship, our true destiny. Only that stance is sufficient to make Paul's attitude towards suffering both sensible and reasonable. If cheerful identification with Christ and his sufferings in this world finally issues in the spectacular glory of the Lord's return and the splendor that follows, then we too are vindicated in a fashion somewhat Uh, uh, to Christ's own vindication. You think about that. Our suffering in light of Jesus' return is just but for a moment. Our suffering in light of Jesus' return doesn't look so big to us anymore. I know about you, but when I'm going through difficulty, when I'm going through discouragement, when I'm going through suffering, it seems so big to me. It's overwhelming. But then when I look to Jesus, it becomes smaller. The songwriter said this, the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.
the longer we look at the gospel as a church and keep that our focus, the more we're encouraged, even as we go through suffering and difficulty. Because without that kind of mindset, we cannot have joy. Notice the warning that he gives. We're done. He talks about verse number 18. There were those that brought joy to him. Notice in chapter 4, verse 1, my joy, my crown. There were those that brought joy to him, but there was also those that brought weeping to him. And it were those that had a carnal mind, who minded, notice the end of verse number 19, what did they mind? End of verse 19, what did they mind? Earthly things. How do we know that minding earthly, earthly things produces a carnal mind which removes joy from your life? Lost people are carnally minded. Christians should never be carnally minded. Christians should never be carnally minded. But how many know that there's a battle that's there? We struggle sometimes to absorb the Word of God the way that we should because we're, our minds are full of junk. But God says we're supposed to empty ourselves of those things. Confession is good for our souls, isn't it? Isn't it? When we confess our faults one to another, when we confess our faults to the Lord, doesn't it empty of us, empty us of ourselves and allow us to be filled with His Spirit again? And when we, when we are honest about our thought life, I want you as we close tonight to think about this because the key to your joy truly is your thought life. If I cannot think on the things that God says I should, I will never be who God wants me to be in this life. In this life. I know that God is going to make me like Jesus in the life to come. I know that that is coming in perfection and glorification. But how many want to get to who you're supposed to be in this life faster than what you are. Sometimes um, we do it wrong because we think, again, getting there faster is doing more stuff. But really, getting there faster is about loving Jesus more, isn't it? And we struggle with giving more of our love to Jesus because that means giving up more of ourselves. And that's tough, isn't it? Because we, we sometimes, our flesh desires all these things And we have to divorce ourselves from that relationship and say, I am not here to serve my flesh. I'm here to serve Jesus Christ. And they that are Christ, what? Have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. As you serve the Lord this week, boy, we need to engage in discipleship, don't we? We need to engage in it. Discipleship doesn't happen on accident. It is purposeful. It is intent. On purpose, it's intentional. And if we don't intend to do it, it won't happen in the church. And can I say this, church? It does not happen through people just gathering to listen to me preach. Discipleship happens as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are all maturing according to, as God has given us a measure of faith, God has given us His grace, God has given us giftedness. We've come into the body of Christ at different points in time. None of that determines our maturity, but just our submissiveness to the Spirit of God. But our job is to be intentional when we come together to help each other grow. How many want to be more intentional about your discipleship within this body? I want to be more intentional about it. Uh, I hope that you do too. That's going to help us to keep a gospel focus as a church. But then when we think about 
our citizenship? How many want to be more intentional to live in this world, but not to have a mind that's in this world, a mind that's set on the things that are above? We get so distracted, and if before long, we're only serving ourselves, and we're not serving Christ. We must remember our citizenship, and then lastly tonight, we must anticipate heaven. It is the call of every church in every age. Shouldn't that be our cry tonight? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Can we join all the churches of the past and those that will come if the Lord should tarry in that song? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. May that be our theme. May that be our anthem. May that be what drives us to continue in this life knowing that he's coming and that is our blessed hope. And that's what keeps the suffering seeming short instead of so overwhelming in our lives. I don't know about you tonight, but if you're overwhelmed with something, current circumstance, current suffering, current situation, one of the best things you can do tonight is look to Jesus. Look to him. Set your affection on him, your love on him. How many are encouraged of the fact that he's already set his love on you? What a wonderful blessing to think that God has set his love on us and then that nothing can separate us from that love. That's what Paul was trying to remind us from prison. You with me? From prison. Now he's not there. But is he still waiting for the return of Christ? Sure is. Because he wants that glorified body just like you do. And it's coming for Brother Paul just like it's coming for us. And we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.